God. You know the needs, and you are a good father and know how to meet those needs. Help us to trust that. In Jesus' name, amen. I think the kids are dismissed at this time. Um, one of, um, I just got a text message. I don't know if any of you are on your, on your phones or worshiping, like we should be doing, but in the back, I just got a text message. Uh, this morning, news is breaking right now um, in Monterey Park, which is an um, Asian-American uh, neighborhood near LA. There's been a mass shooting. Um, at least 10 people were killed. Um, ten are injured. Uh, the gunman, I think, is still at large. Um, this especially hits because this morning I wanted to talk about hope. And, and one of the things I was actually looking at is that today marks the beginning of Chinese New Year. Um, and, and it's actually the, the year of the rabbit. And it's supposed to be a year of hope. And, and so these families were out celebrating Chinese New Year on the year of hope. And, and ten people... Um, at least 10 have been killed this morning. Um, so I just want to acknowledge that, to pause, to pray. Um, I know in some, in some churches, this is also the morning they celebrate the sanctity of human life. Um, a, as brethren in Christ, we, 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 we celebrate life from the womb to the tomb. Um, so reminders like this um, about this country we live in, about the preciousness of life, and, and how easily it is to lose hope. Um, it is very present. So before we even get started, um, I just want to take a moment to pause, to remember those people, and to pray for those families that are impacted. So let's pray together. Uh, our Father and our God, we, we, we thank you that you are indeed the God of hope. We thank you that as we look at hope this morning from our theological um, founding and heritage and, and tradition, um, we thank you that hope is something that our world desperately needs. Lord, we think especially for the people in Monterey Park, uh, for the families that are affected. We thank you for the people that are, are traumatized and grieving. We thank you for, for their stories. God, we pray now for your hope. We pray for your healing. We pray for your touch. We pray for safety um, for all those people who are still involved or, or we don't even know details. I don't know details, but... God, we live in a country that doesn't seem to, to value life as much as you do. We've become a people who don't seem to value life from womb to tomb as much as you do. So we, we pray that we can be a light, that we can be hope, that we can be not just reliance on you, but just a reminder that you've called us to have life more abundantly. So Lord, I pray for those victims. I pray for those lives lost, I pray for their families. I, I pray that there's Christians in that community um, who may step up, who may be love, who may be comfort, who may be strength, um, and who may be light. Thank you for this day. Thank you that um, even though our world is not as it should be, you still remain good. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, try to get back into this. So this morning, um, the focus we did pick was Anabaptist um, World Communion Sunday, uh, World Fellowship Sunday. Now, for a lot of people, when they hear Anabaptist, right, if you grew up maybe Brethren in Christ, that's a familiar name, right? 
um, I still remember years ago when I worked with the youth um, back there, um, the two things that was always funny to me is that when they realized that we were a church, right? Because we don't look like a church. We didn't have a signage out there. Um, so the first thing would be like, oh, wait, this is a church, you know? Um, and then they'd be like, what kind of church? And I'd be like, we're the brethren in Christ. And I'm like, what is that, right? Um, and so there's a lot of people, I, I think most of you here this morning have recognized that we're a church, right? Um, but what is indeed this brethren in Christ? Well, the brethren in Christ, um, I try to see how we can e explain this maybe sociologically. Um, here we are at Harrisburg Brethren in Christ, right? So if you look at that, that's our clan. That's our local family. That's who we are in this body. Even though we extend and we have people all over the world, that's who we are. That's our clan. Now, when a bunch of clans get together, they form a tribe, right? So our tribe would be the brethren in Christ, right? Thus, Harrisburg Brethren in Christ. Now, a bunch of tribes coming together would form a nation. And so when you look at our theological stream, we're physically in Harrisburg as a clan. We belong to the tribe that's called the Brethren in Christ. And when all these Brethren in Christ unite with other Anabaptists, we become this nation. So, so what exactly are the Anabaptists, right? Um, now, some people, when they hear that, they think anti-Baptist, and that's not really true. Right? Actually, we're the first ones who actually believe believers' baptism, right? So much so that they killed us for it, right? Like, you had Christians, you had Catholics and Protestants, and we're like, well, we kind of read this Bible thing, and we think that, like, you have to make a, a commitment to Jesus, and, and based on that commitment, we baptize you. We're not just going to baptize infants. And, and the, the natural Christian reaction was like, we got to kill them, right? So, like, this is the heritage that we come from, right? But, 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 but when people ask me what's an what's a Anabaptist, one of the things I say is, like, well, you know, everything you really love about Christianity? Like, well, yeah. I'm like, that's us. We're the ones who hold on to that. Like, everybody else thinks they got it, but we got it, you know? Um, so if you go a little bit historically, right, uh, we have Martin Luther. And when Luther uh, comes onto the scene, I, I think another thing that, that's interesting for us to hold on to is that we look at Luther as like the, 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 the Protestant Reformation, the great schism in the church, right? That's a very Western understanding. Because maybe 500 years prior to that, there was another great schism in the church, right? And then actually 500 years before that, there was another great schism in the church, right? And, and the three surviving kind of lenses that have landed is that first we have the Orthodox, right, which remain in the East, mostly in Russia and the former Soviet Union, but kind of going across even to China, right? So you have the Orthodox, and they count themselves 220 million strong. Like, that's a lot of people that we don't even acknowledge when we run to Martin Luther, right? But when Luther comes along, you had the universal Catholic Church, which, again, we forgot the Eastern Orthodox existed, right? We love to do that. Right? It's like we don't see them out of sight, out of mind, right? Even though they're a huge chunk of, of people who consider themselves Christian or who are Christian. But when Martin Luther comes, you have one universal Catholic Church. And Luther's like, well, listen. We are doing these things called indulgences, and I'm just not seeing the 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 the, the, the I'm not seeing this in the scripture. In fact, Luther is going to argue that. Well, first of all, I believe that scripture teaches that we're saved by grace. The second thing he's going to argue is that we don't really need to give all this authority to one man and call him the Pope, right? Like like the authority. If we're looking for authority anywhere, it should be in the scripture. Right? And then the next thing he's going to kind of argue and put forth is that we don't need to just designate certain people as priests and, 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 and pastors. You're the ones who do everything. He's like, actually, when we believe in Jesus, we have a, a priesthood of all believers. Right? That's the good parts about Luther. There's a lot of bad parts. Right? We're not going to talk about that this morning. We're going to talk about, like, we're just going to say we're going to relate it to Anabaptism. Right? So, so the Anabaptists emerge, right? Out of this thing with Martin Luther, and, and so I think for us theologically, even though we're this quiet, meek, and humble group, 
Luther cracked the door, right? Like, it was just like, hey, there's the big church. We're going to ignore the Orthodox. There's the big universal Catholic church, and there's things we're getting wrong, right? Like, we need to believe in saved by grace and not works. We need to believe that everyone God calls to do something for the kingdom, and we need to, to believe that Scripture is the ultimate highest authority. The Anabaptists see the door cracked open, they just kick it through, right? And they kick it through by saying, listen, you ain't go far enough. If we're going to actually read the scripture, we should do what the scripture says, right? So that's how we have this move from, from, from infant baptism to believer's baptism, which is something that ironically that most Christians, especially us in the West, think as like gospel truth, right? We all believe in believer's baptism. I grew up in a church that believed in believer's baptism. We never gave credit to the Anabaptists. Like most Christians, when they, like they say, yeah, when you come to faith and you believe in Jesus and you make that decision, you should get baptized, right? Like before this Anabaptist group emerges, no one else did that. And we're not even that big to this day, but we don't get credit. I'm not saying we deserve the credit. I'm just saying they should give it to us, right? You know what I'm saying? Like it's just like we died for this. Like we earned this, right? Furthermore, the Anabaptists also believed in something called separation of church and state. I'm telling you, everything you really like about Christianity, like that's who this family is, right? Like back then you had these national churches, right? Like if the king was, was, was Catholic, the whole country was Catholic. Right. If the, the queen was a certain type of Protestant, everybody was a Protestant. And, and, and so the Anabaptists were able to take this step back and say, well, every time we've seen government and Christianity mix, it's never been good for Christianity. Shockingly, that's still true today. Shockingly. Right. Like it's just like shockingly when someone's a politician, they try to mix Christianity. Like what usually happens is the Christianity goes down. Right. And the politics go up. Right. So the Anabaptists were again, this is part of our heritage. They were able to take a step back and be like, actually, we should make Jesus king, follow Jesus first, look for the things of the kingdom. Right. Like we should not let those things of Jesus submit to the things of this nation, right? Another thing the Anabaptists believed in was, was, was non-resistance, right? Like they went, again, a step back, they're like, well, this is interesting. For the first 300 years of Christian faith, no one fought in wars. Like no one thought it was okay to go to war and kill each other. Like they actually believed Jesus who says, love your enemies, right? Turn the other cheek. They were just like, this is fascinating. Why don't we go back to that? And the rest of the Christian church was like, we'll kill you. Right. Like I, I, I'm joking about this, but I want you to realize like how much different these Anabaptists were. Like they were just like, well, if they ain't going to fight back, it's going to be easy. And there's actually stories, right, of Anabaptists who were arrested, jailed. Right. And, and one of my favorite one is uh, I have a, a really good friend and this is one of his ancestors. And I was like, couldn't have been my ancestor. You know, we would have, you know, it's different. We weren't Anabaptists yet. We weren't Anabaptists yet. Right. But there's a guy by the name of Dirk Willems who was in jail. Right. Like, I'm not sure all the details that happened, but he escaped. Right. Escaped. Like, I would say God provided a way. Right. Like they were going to kill me and the door, the prison uh, acts. Right. The, the, the prison doors open. We got to run through. Right. So he makes it to the other side. And I think it was a frozen lake. The guy chasing him falls into the lake. Again, I would have been like, you know what? I believe in Jesus, but in the Old Testament and the New, the ground opened up sometime for the bad people, right? Like that would have been, that would have been my perspective. But I wasn't Anabaptist yet. But you know what he does? He goes back and, and rescues the guy chasing him and goes back to jail and eventual death. 
Like, this is the heritage of people we come from. So when we say nonviolent resistance, people are like, well, how can you not believe in war? And I'm like, you don't understand. They took their Jesus seriously. They took their Bible seriously. They didn't think war, or and even in their lives, right, like arguing and fighting, like they thought that nonviolent resistance was the way to go, right? That's why when we were talking about Martin Luther King last week, I was just like, a lot of people say he learned that from Gandhi. I was like, you should try this guy named Jesus, Right? Like, you should try this guy named Jesus who actually gave up all his power, went to Calvary's tree, and died for us. Right? So the Anabaptists come from this, 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 this heritage of also uh, of obedience, right? Like, that was one of their number one values. Like, what does it mean to follow God? Actually follow God. Be obedient to God, right? What does it mean to live by God? Actually disciple one another. So it's not just about my faith, right? They're very communal in nature. Like, so it's not how I read the scripture, it's how we read the scripture, right? It's not how I'm doing, it's how we are doing. So when we come together on this Anabaptist uh, World Fellowship Sunday, this is the tradition that we're sitting in. These are the people we call the saints of old. These is the faith that we were, this is the faith that we, we not only hold on to, but that we live to share. A people who believe in believers' baptism, separation of church and state, nonviolent resistance, obedience, and discipleship. And what I love about this Sunday is that we get a chance to pause and to acknowledge that these people who are in our family are in North America and South America. They're in Africa and Asia. They're in Europe and even Australia, right? And one of the biggest groups of Anabaptists is called the Mennonite World Conference. And so they're the ones who put on this Anabaptist World Fellowship Sunday. What I love about this is it's not just acknowledging, hey, this is who we are, or, or hey, this is where we are. It's saying, what does it mean for all of us for one Sunday a year to gather on one idea? And this year, the idea they chose was hope. Was Jesus Christ our hope? How do we have hope even in deep troubles? Whether it's troubles we didn't know like Monterey Park or troubles we've known all of our lives. How do we have hope? And how do we globally come together, right? To not only have hope, hold on to hope, but share hope for our world. And how we're going to try to do that is to go to a very familiar story this morning. It's the story of the blind man of Jericho. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 18. I'll be reading verses 35 to 43. I believe we'll also have it up front so you can follow there as well. Starting at verse 35. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led, re- led the way rebuked him and told him, be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see. Some translations will say, Lord, I want to see again. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you immediately. He received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. Amen? Let's pray. Our Father, our God, we thank you so much that you are indeed our God of hope. Holy Spirit, teach us, tune us, help us to hear your voice, to know your touch, to move when you call us to move. Lord Jesus, help us to remember that no matter what trouble we're in, 
no matter what darkness we face, no matter what struggle we fight, that you see us, that you stop for us, and that you come to us asking, what do you want me to do for you? God, our Father, the scriptures remind you that we can taste and see that you are good. God, for those of us in distress, help us to taste hope this morning. For those of us in darkness, help us to taste light this morning. For those of us without any, any hope, help us to know that you have hope in us, that you gift hope to us, and that you are available to us. Jesus Christ, our hope, be our hope today, be our hope tomorrow, be our hope forevermore. Amen? In Luke chapter 18, he's going to compile the stories to teach about persistence. And if you didn't know what persistence is, I invite you when you go home or this week to just read through the stories of Luke 18 and ask this question, what does persistence look like? Because in each story, you get a different face of persistence. The first one is the one of the, the persistent widow, right? She, she lived in a town, and it's a parable Jesus tells you. She lives in a town where the judge was unjust, right? And it says the judge didn't care about God, right? And the judge didn't even care about the people. Now, for some of us who've interacted with some judges, we, can, we don't have to use our imagination. We're like, ooh, I can see this, right? But it's in print that he doesn't care about God, doesn't care about the people. But the widow's persistence of going before day in and day out and saying, I want justice, I want justice, I want justice. The judge eventually says, you know what, this lady needs to stop bothering me. We're going to give her her justice, right? And Jesus flips it and says, listen, if this unjust, ungodly, unloving judge can give justice, how much more will our God who chooses us, who loves us, who's with us, how much more will our God give justice when we cry out? That is a source of hope. That if the world who's unjust can find justice, how much more will our God find justice? Then the next story is uh, the, the story of the persistent Pharisee, right? They go to the temple to worship, and he's just like, listen, God, I thank you I'm not like some of them. You know, like, I feel like this is like a kid who never grew up, right? Like, it just seems like a, the, the prayer of an immature, not only believer, but it's like, God, I thank you I'm better than them. I think you're like, I don't rob, I don't steal, I don't cheat, I don't do nothing bad. Like, because you know them people, God, I ain't them, right? Very persistent in his holiness. And then Jesus contrasts that with what I like to call the penitent tax collector. The one who enters into worship, enters into the temple knowing I'm not even worthy to be in God's presence, right? And what does that, that unworthy uh, penitent tax collector say? Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. We got to hold on to that because Jesus is going to circle back to that in our passage, right? So you have the, the persistent uh, a Pharisee who's just like, I ain't as good, I ain't as bad as them. And you have the sinner who says, yes, I'm a tax collector. Yes, I fall short. Yes, I don't know everything about you. Yes, there's just so much I don't get. But Lord, have mercy on me. And Jesus seems to think that insistence matters and that persistence matters, right? And then you have this little, it seems like an interlude, right, where the people are coming to Jesus and the kids are just running up. And I feel like the disciples were either like none of them had kids or they just hadn't had enough kids, right? Because, like, if you know anything about children, they're persistent. You know, like, if they want to see something, they're going to see it. 
If they want to say something, they're going to say it. If they want to do something, they're going to do it. And Jesus, if Jesus was a magnetic to people, how much more would Jesus be magnetic to children, right? So the children are running up and they're like, Yo, get away, get away. This is Jesus, right? And I think it's funny because some of us who grew up in church, it's the same thing that we kind of do sometimes. It's like, this is the sanctuary. What are you doing? This is the sanctuary. Like, God's sanctuary. What are you doing here, right? And Jesus is just like, yo, chill out. Let the children come to me. And then because he's Jesus, he flips it. He's like, honestly, if you're not like them and this eager and persistence to come to me, right, and this ready to believe me, can you really be a part of me? And I love this story because it goes from like, don't let the children in to be like, oh, my gosh, we need to be like the children. What does that even mean? Like, like Jesus, they went from like bullying the kids to Jesus giving them an existential crisis. Like, what does it mean to be a child? You know, like, like that's what happens there. But the persistence of children is something we can learn on. Then you move on and you get the, the, the persistent rich ruler. Now, this story is interesting to me because I don't know how you can walk with Jesus and be this cocky. Right? Like, it's just like, I don't know how you can be this wild. How you can look the God of the universe in the face and be like, yo, all the laws, I, I kept all of them since I, I've, I've been perfect. Right? You know, it's just like, and, and, I, and I love that Jesus just goes with it. Right? He doesn't even argue with them. He's just like, oh, really? Wow. I mean, there's over 600 of them. You've done all of them? Perfectly. Wow. You know? Like, I would have been like, yo, number 613, on Thursday last week, you broke it. Right? Like, 597, that was Tuesday. You know, like, I would have gone, that, that's just me. Right? I'm a little petty, right? That's just me. But Jesus doesn't do that, right? Jesus takes what he says and says, okay, cool. Now that you've figured it all out, you've got everything that you follow, sell it all. Sell everything. Give it to the poor. Follow me. He's like, well, I don't, <laughs> I mean, everything. You sure? <laughs> I'm going to think about that one. You know, I'm going to just think about that one and come back to you, right? And then Jesus again flips the script and says, listen, it's going to be hard, not just if you're wealthy, but if your things own you, it's going to be hard for you to give them up to come into me, right? It's going to be hard if your wealth is what defines you, what you have is what defines you. If you're not willing to give it all up for me, do you belong to me? And then when we move from that, we got Jesus being persistent, right? All these things are happening. He sits to the disciples and is like, guys, listen, we're about to head to Jerusalem. You know what's going to happen there, right? They're going to gather me up. They're going to arrest me. They're going to kill me. I'm going to rise again. And the disciples are just like, bro, you keep telling us the story. Like, it's just like, this is the third time now. Like, like are you really going to, like, we don't, you're not really going to die, right? Is this a parable? You know, is this like another existential thing? And he's like, no, 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 no. They will kill me, but I will rise again. And so all of this, Luke is building and kind of weaving these stories together to say, what does persistence look like? What does it mean to insist? What does it mean to be so desperate that God is our only hope? What does it mean to be so reliant on God? And so as Jesus is going towards Jerusalem, he approaches Jericho. Now, there's some people who believe that this could be on the march to the cross. There's some people who believe that it might just be another festival going on. But either way, there's Jesus marching towards Jericho. And what would happen with the rabbis is that they wouldn't just have Saturday school, right? I almost said Sunday school, but that would be wrong. They wouldn't just have Saturday school, right? They would do their teaching out in the public sphere. They would do their teaching, like you see this in the scriptures, all the different places Jesus preaches. Jesus preaches more outside than inside, right? Which is a great reminder to us, right? 
But another way they would preach is on these journeys. So on the way to Jerusalem, as he's walking on the road, not everyone can leave everything and go to Jerusalem, right? Not everyone can, can leave everything and follow him around for three years. So when you hear Jesus is coming, you run to the roadside, right? You get your little 30. It's like, it's like us in a podcast, right? It's just like, Jesus is coming. Okay, let me get my 30 minutes, right? Like, let me hear what he's got to say, and I'm going to go back to work, right? But as they're walking on the road, people would just come and crowd and crowd and crowd and crowd. So this time, as he's approaching Jericho, there's a blind man sitting by the roadside. Now, other, trans, uh, other um, gospels call him Bartimaeus, right, like the son of Timaeus. But all we know from Luke's rendering here is that this blind man is sitting by the roadside. Again, we got to take a step back and realize, like, one, he's blind. So there's a good chance somebody helped him get to the roadside. And I think that's important for us to acknowledge and hold on to. Another thing that might make us feel a little bit uneasy is that in that culture, they had the understanding that if you were blind, right, and you see this in other stories in the gospel, if you were blind, is you sinned or, or someone else sinned, right? It was a punishment. So because of that, just being blind made you ostracized, made you marginalized, made you oppressed, made you an outsider, made you a least of these, right? And it made you reliant on the grace of the people because Jewish faith and tradition had an understanding that, like, like in Christianity, when we serve others, it's because we love them and God loves them too, right? But in, in, in certain circles, and I think you even have this in certain Christianity, you serve others because it's just like that's what we're supposed to do, right? Like Jesus is not in the supposed to do business, right? Like Jesus wants you to love people and to serve people because Jesus loves and serves people too, but there was a semblance in that of thinking of like, oh, fine, let's drag him to the road. Let him get his 30 minutes of Jesus, then he could go beg some more, right? And, but the thing about begging is like, that's how they lived, right? There was no social net. There was probably some of them wouldn't even have family, right? Like there was no, like nothing to catch them. So they needed to beg to survive. So I want you to understand the desperation of this man because him being blind, right, took him down a couple of notches. Whatever socioeconomic status he's in, him being blind drops him down. It makes him more reliant on his neighbors, makes him more reliant on his society, makes him have to beg just to get food. That's who we're talking about in Bartimaeus. So the blind man is sitting by the roadside. He's begging. He hears a crowd, right? I always picture like superheroes. Like I just feel like the people I know who I've interacted with, if one of their, their senses are, are numb or are non-existent, they seem to have superpowers. Another thing, there's a lady from my church growing up named Judy, right? She was blind and she could see better than me, right? She knew everything about like our church building. Like, and I'm just like, I could see it. I didn't know that room was there. Like, how is this happening, right? But the other thing she had was hearing. And then, I don't know, maybe it's because I was a teenage boy. I felt like she could smell me, too. Like, it was just like, I'd be like, across the room, she's like, Henry. She probably just could hear me because I was loud. But I didn't think about that. But it's like, yeah, she just seemed to have this heightened thing. So as the crowd is, is gathering, he can hear the rumbling. He hears the rumbling. And he's like, hey, guys, hey, 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 what's going on? Like, what, what's happening? And I, oh, Jesus is here. He's going on the way to Jerusalem. He's passing through Jericho. And we just want to hear him. And, 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 and so he's like, oh, Jesus. And maybe he's helped to the road. But somehow he gets to the road. And because he gets to the road, you have to picture this as Jesus walking down, talking to disciples, talking to followers, having this crowd around him. But Jesus is consistently moving forward, right? So Bartimaeus doesn't see him, but he might feel him or might just hear him go by, right? So the first thing he says is like, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And that's important because Bartimaeus is naming two things about Jesus that we all have to do too. The first one, he's saying, Jesus, you are king. 
He's acknowledging the kingship of Jesus. He's not just appealing to Jesus because he's a wise guy or or a spiritual guru. He's not appealing to Jesus because he has good moral teachings, right? He's saying, Jesus, you're the royal king son, right? Like you are from the line of David. You are the savior. Oh, we'll get to that. You are literally the king above all kings. You're the rightful heir to the throne. I am trusting you, son of David. But then he also says, have mercy on me. And the word for mercy that's used there is, is save me, right? And it's pointing to not Jesus' earthly kingship, but Jesus as Messiah, the savior of the world, the chosen one come to rescue sin and, and rescue sinners and save us from sin. So in one statement, he's able to say, I may be blind. You may not be able to see me. You will hear me, though. And I think sometimes we could pray that way too, right? Like, God, you're going to hear me today. Like, he hears you anyway, but sometimes you got to say that to make yourself feel better. God, you're going to hear me today. Maybe it's just me. I do that sometimes. But he yells it out, acknowledging that Jesus is the rightly king of Israel, but Jesus is also the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And as he confesses his faith, what happens to the people around him? Like, yo, listen. We just brought you here to get 30 minutes of the podcast, right? Like, what are you doing? Like, shh, quiet down, right? There's one translation, they're like, shut up. I was like, you can't say that. We're in church. And then I was like, you can't tell a blind person to shut up. That's even worse, you know? But, like, but that's what they're doing. They're trying to shush him, right? Because they want to hear Jesus. And that is a reminder to us, too. <laughs> because sometimes we might shush people. Because we think that's right, and then what they have to say isn't as important as what we need to hear, right? Like, like what we understand about Jesus is more important than what they're trying to understand about Jesus or what they're trying to get from Jesus, right? So these people around them who had been helpful, who had brought them along, is now like, yo, chill, Jesus is talking. Like, this is Jesus, stop yelling. And then something happens in this blind man. While others rebuked him and attempted to quiet him, he reaches desperation. I think there's two different kinds of desperation we have to hold on to, right? And I don't know if they're both good. I don't know if good and bad is a good enough metric for it, right? Like, I don't think it's just a binary black and white good and bad, right? There's a desperation of feeling when you feel like you have no hope, right? When, 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 when 10 feet before coming up, I look at my phone. I was like, why did I look at my phone, right? And I hear about a mass shooting, right? That overwhelming feeling of like, what can we even do? Right? That's a desperate feeling. But there's also desperate action. And desperate action is when you've got nothing left but to rely on God. When you've got no other hope but to trust in God. There's a desperation that comes from like, God, I am weak, but I hope you're strong right now. God, I don't see, but I hope you give me a little bit of light. Help me take this next step. God, I don't know where we're going, but I just hope you're still holding me and leading me through. So his desperation isn't because, like, he's just like, I'm frustrated, right? It's that he knows that there's my Jesus, there's my healing, and if y'all don't want me to say I'm going to scream it, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And what's beautiful about it is the first time he says it, right, And they're just like, shh. And instead of listening to the shut up, he says, no, I'm going to scream louder. Right? Like maybe he knew that Jesus likes children too. He's like, I'm going to act like a kid if I have to. But I'm going to get my Lord's attention. So he screams out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. 
And what's beautiful is that Jesus stops. Right? Think about this. The whole time we're saying he's walking, he's going to the festival or Passover or Jerusalem. He has a crowd around him. But when this blind man yells out of this desperation, Jesus stops and pauses and says, whoa, what is happening? Right? And I love this about our God. Because it's a reminder that not only God sees us, but God hears us. God knows what we feel. And when we're so desperate that all we have is to rely on him, how great is it that our God shows up? And so Jesus, who's preaching and teaching and walking, he stops, he calls for, like some translators say, he orders them. He orders them. He uses authority to say, who is that man yelling, bring him to me? And when the blind man shows up, I love this question that Jesus is asking, what do you want me to do for you? How amazing is it that he went from probably poor, blind, marginalized, outcast, ostracized, alone, to standing before the God of the universe saying, what do you want me to do for you? And as he stands before Jesus, the blind man says, Lord, I want to see. The Greek word is anablepo, right? I want to see again leading some of us to believe that perhaps he was, had sight and something happened that he lost it. I don't think it changes much about the story, except this, that sometimes where we end up might be a result of our actions. It might be a result of someone else's actions. It might be a result of our inaction. It might be a result of, of, of medical, right? Like, we don't know if this is medical. We don't know what's happening, right? But what I love is no matter where you are, God is available. No matter what you've done, God is there. No matter what situation you're in, God welcomes you in and says, what do you want me to do for you? And he says, Lord, I want to see again. And what does the scripture say? Immediately, he received his sight. Jesus didn't put mud on his hand and rub his eyes, right? Like, Jesus didn't spit on the ground and write. He just says, immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. You love how all three of those go together, right? Immediately, he's healed. And what's the response to the great healing? He followed Jesus. And what's the response to him following Jesus? He praises God. And what's the response to him praising God? Everyone else sees it, and they go from shushing him to yelling with him as they all worship God together. This is what hope does. We may start off desperate and alone and ostracized and by ourselves, but with a little bit of faith and a little bit of trust, God will move. And when God moves, that should usher in not only following him, but praise. Because if we're able to praise God in the dark, if we're able to praise God in the distress, if we're able to praise God in the trial and the tribulation, I guarantee you, your world will see it. And they will praise God too. Because if we're only praising God in the good, that's not that special. Right? If we're only praising God because we're great, we're healthy, we're happy, we have all of our dreams, right? We got our two and a half kids in our picket fence, right? If we're only praising God in the good, there's nothing special about our God. 
But if we're able to say, God, I'm desperate and I need you, thank you for seeing me. God, I see no light. Thank you for helping me take this next step. God, I'm blind. Thank you for helping me see. And that's how we can have hope this morning. Because no matter what situation we're in, I want to tell you, my sister, I want to tell you, my brother, no matter where you are this morning, Jesus is coming towards you. We do so much work to say God meets us where we are. But we also have this thing in our head where we think that, like, yeah, God meets us where we are, but I got to clean myself up first. Right? Like, I mean, me and God, we're okay, but, like, let me just get right first, and then I'm going to go before him. Right? When I'm, when I'm ready is essentially what we're saying. When I'm ready and I think God's ready, then I'll present myself. Right? It's not just that God meets you where you are. It's that God is heading towards you now. Right? While you're worried about cleaning yourself up, Jesus is saying, what do you want me to do for you? Right? Jesus is heading towards you now. And I love that this story, yes, they tried to shush him. But I also love, and I think we get this from our Anabaptist heritage, right? We're meant to be a body. We're meant to be a family. We're meant to be a community. And that means that none of us is meant to be alone. Because here's the thing. Loneliness thrives. I guess I want to say darkness thrives when we're lonely. When we feel like no one else gets it, no one else gets us, no one else is with us, that's where the darkness thrives. That's where desperation feeling thrives. That's where we fall short. But it's the joy of knowing that you see me. Because if I believe my sister sees me, I just might believe that God sees me too. If I believe that you are with me, I just might believe that God is with me too. So, so God is going to gift us people that are going to help. And sometimes it might just be dragging us to the road, right? Sometimes it might be shushing us. Sometimes it might be like, okay, fine, there's Jesus, you know? Or sometimes it might be like, Jesus, take him. But God is going to give us people. And I think the challenge for us isn't just God's going to give us people. Is are we willing to be the people that God gives to others too? Because it's not just about what we need, right? Because more than often, you're going to need to be that person who helps get them before God too, who has the hope or a little bit more hope than they do, and you can wrap them up and, and bring them forward towards God, right? And I love that when Jesus says what? Your faith has healed you. Our persistent, desperate faith helps us see. Not the persistence of like, God, I'm just, I got nothing. But the persistence of God, I got nothing, but you're everything. God, I'm weak, but you're strong. God, I don't know where to go, but you're leading. That's a different kind of persistence, right? So how do we respond to that? Well, we live to proclaim that Jesus is king, no matter what we see. And we trust that Jesus saves not just on the cross, but even today. That in this situation I'm in, Jesus saves. That in this struggle that I have, Jesus saves. That in this trial and tribulation, what? Jesus saves. And I think if we're able to hold on to some of this, we can have a little bit more hope. Because we don't have to see the whole story to know that Jesus is writing it. We don't have to see the whole pathway to know that God is leading us. And if this Jesus is coming towards us where we are, and if this Jesus is going to send us people, and if this Jesus is going to acknowledge our faith, perhaps 
this witness that we then fall forward will help others see too. That's what Jesus says, right? Like if you live right and glorify your Father in heaven, others will see it and glorify your Father in heaven too. But if you just want one line to hold on to all of this for hope, and if you just need some kind of hope this morning, I just want to tell you, Jesus sees you. Jesus hears you. Jesus stops for you. And this morning, in this moment, Jesus is before you saying, what do you want me to do for you? And for those of us who maybe aren't there, right? Like, but we can remember the time we've been there. And we felt Jesus' presence. We heard Jesus' voice. We saw Jesus, right, coming through for us. Perhaps, perhaps we can give praise a little louder. Perhaps we can give praise and hold on to it a little bit more. Perhaps we can be a little bit more bold in telling stories of praise. Because the person who's not where we are might just need that a little bit more so they can have hope too. Praise the God who sees us. Praise the God who holds us. Praise the God who carries us. Praise the God who stops for us. Praise the God who calls us this morning and says, what do you want me to do for you? Praise the God who sees your faith, who acknowledges your faith, and who will help you see. Amen? I'd like to call up the worship team. We're going to end um, singing uh, Living Hope. Again, as we sing this song, I'd like to invite any of the other pastors in the room up front. We'd love to pray for you, uh, maybe in response to something in the sermon or, or maybe in response to something in the whole service. Or maybe you need a little bit of hope. Or maybe there's someone in your life who needs hope and you want us to pray for you or pray with you for that person. But as we sing this song, may we realize that Jesus doesn't just want hope to be an abstract concept, but a living reality. Something we experience, something we give. Something we hold on to, but something we share. Amen? Let's stand and sing together.
of kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. questions I think for us to kind of hold on to as we leave this morning um, is, is just simply this, you know, where is it hard for you to have hope today? Or maybe you're on the other side of the, the Bartimaeus story, you know, who is trying to, to silence you this morning? Or where have you been silenced? It's easy for us to say, God, give us hope. But it's also okay to acknowledge that hope is hard to find. Hope is hard to hold on to. 
But I want you to think of this story. I want you to hold on to this too. That yes, hope might be way out there. But if we cry out, Jesus hears us. Jesus stops for us. Jesus comes back for us. Jesus will hear you. No matter who's trying to silence you, Jesus will hear you. No matter who's trying to push you away, Jesus will come through. This is the God of hope that we have. The God who always shows up for us. Amen. Our Father, our God, we thank you so much that you are indeed the God of hope. Holy Spirit, we pray that we can learn to listen to you. That we can learn to move with you. That we can be in tune with your spirit as we're in tune with our own spirit. So that we can see where you're moving, see what you're doing. Our God and our Father, we thank you so much that we can actually taste hope today. That we can taste your goodness today. That we can taste your, your mercy, your forgiveness, your joy, your comfort, your strength today. But Lord Jesus our Christ, we thank you that you are indeed king. Not just the son of David, but the king above all kings. We thank you that you're the one in whom all things are made. You're the one in whom all things come under your feet. So, Lord, we trust you to help us carry through or to help carry us through. Lord, we place our faith in you, not just because we feel desperate, but because when we're weak, you are indeed strong. When we have no way, you make a way. When we don't know where we're leading, we can trust your light and love. So, Lord Jesus, our Christ, we thank you that you're the God who hears us. You're the God who sees us. You're the God who stops for us. And you're the God who says, what do you want me to do for you? Give us hope this morning. Help us to share hope this morning. And help us to live knowing that our good God, that our loving God, our God of hope, is a God who sees us and makes us and pushes us through. In your holy and precious name, Lord, we pray. Amen. God bless you all.